Welcome to the Faith Talk podcast. We're excited you are listening today. Prepare to be challenged and inspired through today's episode. We pray that every fear is dispelled and your faith is increased as you hear the word of God. Now, let's listen in with our host, Caleb Schaefer. Luke 15, 11 through 24. Then he said, a man had two sons. The father, the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the property that falls to me. So he divided his state, bet- his state between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and journeyed to a distant country and there squandered his possessions in prodigal living. When he had spent everything, there came a severe famine in that country, and he began to be in want. So he went and hired himself to a citizen of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the swine. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the husks that the swine were eating, but no one gave him any. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have an abundance of bread? And here I am, perishing with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he arose and came to his father. But while he was yet far away, his father saw him and was moved with compassion and embraced his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring here the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to be merry. Father God, in the name of Jesus. I pray that you bless your word today. God, I pray that you open our ears to what it is that you have to say to us. God, I pray right now for everyone listening that they would hear your heart this morning, that they would hear your call this morning. God, that they would know you, God, are on the throne and God, you love them so very much. So God, this morning, I pray that you open us up to what it is that you have to say and God, that you breathe life into us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Hallelujah. I realize that this portion of scripture can be taken several different ways. You can go into how the older brother acted and how the older brother felt and You can go into how it's a parallel between the Jews and the Gentiles. You can go into how Jesus uh, was aiming this at the Pharisees. You can go into all sorts of things. But I want to talk about the son and the father relationship this morning for just a few minutes. You see, this passage of scripture in Luke 15 talks about a lost sheep, and then it talks about a lost coin, and then it talks about a lost son. And uh, the son had lived in the father's house. He was one of the ones that had, had grown up in the father's house. And he had all the blessings of the father's house. And so he was not a stranger to what the father had. He, he, was, uh, he had access to everything that the father had. And it wasn't something that, that he 
couldn't get a hold of. If he needed something, it was his already. If he wanted something, it was his already. The indication here is that the father was a wealthy man. He, he was probably a landowner. He probably had an estate, uh, uh, according to the word of God. And, and so he had servants. He had people that worked for him, all sorts of things. So this family wasn't a poor family. It wasn't something that, uh, that the kid would have grown, grown up in any want or any lack. And when he asked for his share of the portion that was due to him, it would have been about a third of what the father owned. It would have been about a third of the money according to Deuteronomy. So the son said, give me what's coming to me. And the son, notice he didn't say, give me my inheritance. He said, give me what's coming to me. Now, if he would have said, give me my inheritance, an inheritance in this situation would have been a situation where the son would have had responsibility that came with the inheritance. Had he gotten an inheritance because his dad was a landowner, because he had an estate, because there were servants, he would have had authority and responsibility over certain things. But he didn't say, give me my inheritance because he didn't want any responsibility. He didn't want any, any sort of accountability. He just wanted what was due to him. And a lot of the time, I think we come into the house of God and we want the blessing of God. God, give me what your word says, but don't give me any responsibility with it. God, Give me the blessing, but don't give me any responsibility. God, give me the testimony, but don't make me go tell somebody. God, give me, bring me out of this, but God, don't make me get up and tell anybody about it. God, save me and save my family, but don't make me tell my coworkers. How often do we get the blessing of God, but we don't want the responsibility and the accountability that comes with it? And in this situation, the boy would not have received this inheritance until his father died. So basically, when he went and asked his father for his inheritance, he was saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you were gone so that I could just have what's mine. If you, can, if you can see where this, this relationship is already beginning to deteriorate. God, I, I just want what's mine. God, just give me the blessings. I don't want to have to come to church regularly. I don't want to have to pay my tithes. I don't want to have to listen to your word. I don't want to have to obey your commands. God, I just want the blessing. I just want the blessing. Don't give me any responsibility with it. In other words... I just want what you have. I don't want the relationship. I just want what good you can do for me. He was impatient. He wished his father was dead. So the boy went and turned everything to cash and then he squandered it. You'll always know what a person desires and wants by where they spend their money. You'll always know what a person wants more of in their life by where they put their money, what they desire. All you have to do is go back over your own debit card statement. Do you ever do that? You should. You should save your receipts or go back over your debit card statement or your credit card statement if you use a credit card. You should go back over that statement and say, where did I spend most of my money? 
And people will tell you what they love and where their heart is by where they put their money. This boy's heart was not in serving God. He didn't give a tithe of it by any record that we have here in the scripture. His heart was not in serving the kingdom of God. He just squandered it. He went and he left and he ended up getting to a point where he was down and out and he ended up feeding the pigs, something that a Jewish boy was never supposed to even be around. He wasn't supposed to be around pigs. He, he had the law to follow. He, he was not supposed to be in the pig pen. He was not supposed to be anywhere near pigs, but somehow he got to a point where he could only do the thing that he wasn't even supposed to be around. He had to feed the pigs and sin and a life of lasciviousness, a loose living will take you to a point where you can only be around the thing that you're not supposed to be around anyway. Sin will take you down a path where you are only able to be around other sinners. Sin will take you down a path where you're only able to be around other other places and and things that are degenerate and are going to pull you further into sin. Why? Because at a point, at a certain point, when we get involved in sin long enough and when we get involved in things long enough, we get ashamed, we get embarrassed, we get embarrassed to be around people who are in the church because they know how we are, they know how we're living. We get embarrassed, we get shamed because we don't want to be around other people who are going to look at us and say, hey, I know what you're involved in you better get out of it so he left he left the whole area left and went to another country and ended up getting stuck doing things he wasn't supposed to be doing and we get mad at the prodigal and we look it down at him a lot of the time with our religious piety but we're all the prodigal at some point We're all the prodigal at different points in our lives. We're all that boy. We all get get into things and we and I'm not even saying you get into things that are that are egregious sins. I'm just saying you get into watching a Netflix series and, and quit reading your Bible for a few weeks, or you get, you get involved in the busyness of your kids' sports and summer and, and just, just quit coming to church for a few weeks. I'm telling you, we all end up being the prodigal at different times. Uh, there are different times in our lives uh, where we get what we want from God. We get the blessing from God, and then we just go off on our own path. Uh, we get the job, and we can't come to church on Sundays anymore. We get the promotion, and we We can't get to Bible study. We get the healing and then we just go about our business. We get the miracle and we just keep going on our own way. We we get the spouse and we quit being faithful to God. You see, a lot of the time in the church, we get what we want from God and then we quit showing up. I can't tell you the amount of times we would be here for 530 prayer meeting on Wednesdays in the morning, 530 in the morning. Yes, it comes twice a day. We would be here for 5.30 prayer meeting on Wednesday mornings and somebody would show up for about a month, really faithful, praying and believing for something and we would agree with them and Pastor Peoples would agree with them and then all of a sudden the healing would take place, the miracle would take place and they quit showing up. Sunday afternoons, before two elections ago, we had prayer meetings here. Every Sunday afternoon. And people were so scared 
that a certain candidate was going to get in who was a very demonic candidate that everybody was showing up to pray. And so they got what they wanted. And then the last election, we said, hey, we're gonna have more prayer meetings. Nobody showed up. Because everybody got what they wanted from God. We're all the prodigal. We're all the prodigal at different times. We get what we want from God. And then we back away. And all the time, this boy is out ruining his life and making decisions that are just destroying his life. And in truth, in absolute truth, it is breaking the father's heart. It's breaking the father's heart that this boy is out doing what he's doing. He already told his father that he wished he was dead. He already said, give me my inheritance. I can't wait till you're dead. I want it now. Give me everything that's due to me. And now he's out making these decisions. And all the while, I don't know about if you've ever had somebody that you care about out making bad decisions. If you've ever had somebody that you absolutely love with all of your heart, it might be a child, it might be a grandchild, a brother, a sister, a parent. I don't know if you've ever had somebody who's been out making bad decisions that you love with all your heart and you're sitting at home knowing what they're out there doing it just breaks you it just shatters you inside it just rips you apart and so this boy tells his dad I wish you were dead and then the father's sitting at home knowing what this boy's out there doing and I can just see the father's heart breaking it broke when he wanted his inheritance and wished his father was dead. It broke because he knew his son was out making terrible decisions. He knows he's out drunk. He knows he's out carousing. He knows he's out with a needle in his arm. He knows he's turned his back on God. He knows. And the father's just sitting at home. Nothing he can do about it. So many times we break God's heart. And that's a heavy thought. When we sin, we break God's heart because it's not his best for us. That's a heavy thought. We don't like to hear that because we like to think of God as sitting in heaven with a lightning bolt and a hammer ready to smack us whenever we do something wrong. We like to think of God as sitting up in heaven ready to strike us down whenever we do something wrong. We think of him as a big meanie with a rule book that we can't keep and then that kind of lets us off the hook. But when we think about ourselves as being wretched and miserable and breaking God's heart when we sin and breaking God's heart when we do things that he doesn't like us to do, that puts the onus on us instead of on him being a big meanie. And we don't like to hear that. We don't like to hear that. We like all the responsibility to be on him. God, you made all these commandments I can't keep. God, you did all this I can't keep. Yes, but you're willingly going out and doing it. You're willingly going out and participating in things. You're willingly going out and repetitively doing it. And it breaks God's heart. It breaks God's heart. We've got to understand God, as the prodigal's father, whose heart is broken. The Bible says he's married to the backslider. His, his heart is forever after the ones who have 
been in his house and have gone back out. His heart is after the ones who are out sinning, and that makes us the bad guy. See, what I picture is the father waiting, heartbroken that his son isn't there, waiting and watching for his son to come home. And the Bible tells us the son came to himself. He hit rock bottom. Sometimes we have to hit rock bottom. Sometimes you have to get so low that you can't pick yourself back up. And that's when you're like, oh, maybe I should get back to church. Maybe I should turn around. Maybe I shouldn't participate in this sin. Maybe it is going to drag me down. Maybe it is going to kill me. Maybe it's not God's plan for my life that I go on like this. And the son came to himself and he hit rock bottom. And he said, I'm going to make up a plan. He said, I'm going to go and ask if I can just be a servant in my father's house. The servants in my father's house at least have food. The servants in my father's house at least have shelter. The servants in my father's house at least have clothes on their back. I'm out here living in the pig pen, wishing I could eat the food that the pigs eat, but no one's given me any. And, and he, was, he was in his mind saying, if I can go and be a slave in my father's house, I'll be better off than I am right now. And so he started back home and he had brought shame on his family. See, back in these Bible times in the culture, it wasn't just that you had your own little family unit that you lived with and it was nothing else. People lived in communities and communities brought safety, communities brought security, communities brought all sorts of protections. If outsiders came in and tried to, tried to uh, steal or tried to hurt, the community would band together and so everybody kind of answered to the community instead of just the people that you lived with. And so this boy had brought shame on his family name by leaving the community and going out and squandering his wealth and spending his father's wealth. It was one of, it was a high crime back in those days if you had a bunch of wealth and you went and lost it. Because that meant that you couldn't be a good steward of anything. And so the community would have had some sort of say in this boy's life. And he, he was going back and he knew that he had brought shame to his family's name in the community. He knew that he was, he was going to be uh, ostracized. And so he had to go back and say, you know what? I'll just be a servant in my father's house. I won't expect anything. I won't expect to even live in my father's house. I'll go back like I never had a relationship with him. Like I never was raised in his house. I'll just go back and I'll live as a servant. And in those times, because of the community, the community, uh, the community would make decisions. And because his dad was wealthy, he would have been even more prominent in the community because he was, he was wealthy. He, he had a land, he was a landowner. He had an estate. He was wealthy. So this would have been a time in, in the son's life when he tried to come back where he would have been in immense fear of what was going to happen to him because the elders in the community would have had some sort of say in and whether he was welcomed back into the community or not after he left. And the, the, in the time, there was a ceremony called the Kazeza. There was a Kazeza ceremony that if the elders of the community 
knew you had committed some sort of crime or knew that you had committed some sort of disgrace on your family or on the community, they would meet you at the gate and they would bring a clay pot with them and they would smash that clay pot on the ground in front of you at the gate before you ever walked in, symbolizing that you had broken relationship with them and you were no longer a part of the community. It was called a cutting off ceremony. And this boy was going home knowing that this ceremony was probably going to happen to him. If he, he would have had to sneak in the gate with the elders not noticing him in order to go and become a servant in his father's house. So this was heavy stuff. If he would have been met at the gate, the implications would have been that he wasn't even allowed back in. So this is a dangerous situation for him even to go back and try to get into the community. And some scholars have said they think that the father was tipped off when the boy came home because the father was looking for him. He knew he saw him afar off in the distance, the Bible says. But I believe knowing this background the father wasn't tipped off at all. I believe, knowing this background, that the father was waiting the entire time that the son was gone. And if you'll humor me for a moment, I know they probably didn't have rocking chairs on their front porch, but I can just see the father sitting outside his house watching the gate, watching down the road. And he'd see somebody coming and he'd say, is that my boy? Is that my boy? And every time somebody would come to the gate, he'd be sitting outside waiting. And you see the implications in this story because this is found in Luke 15 with the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin. This is found in the story of Luke 15. This, the implication is that he was not tipped off because when the lost sheep was lost, the, the good shepherd left all the other sheep and he quit everything he was doing and he went to find that sheep that was lost. And when the coin was lost, the lady cleaned her house until she found the sheep or until she found the coin. The coin was lost and she, she cleaned her house until she found it. She didn't go to work. She didn't do anything else except for clean her house. And so in this third story, I can't help but think that when the father's son walked away, he was just waiting on his son. The father didn't go to work. He didn't go out to plant the field. He didn't do anything else. He probably didn't even leave the porch to go eat or to sleep. He was probably sitting outside that house just waiting, just waiting for that son to come home as long as it took. And we don't even know how long the story lasts. We don't even know how long the son was gone. We do know that he went to another country. So it was probably a long time. And we do know that he spent all his wealth. So that probably took a little while too. But the whole time, the father was sitting on the porch saying, where's my boy? I just can't wait for him to get home. I just can't wait for him to come back. Oh, my son's been missing. He's gone and I just can't wait and everybody that came past the gate the father must have stood up and he must have looked just to try to see if it was his son and the Bible tells us 
that when the father saw his boy afar off, the father went to the son and he embraced him and he kissed him and he said, come on back home. You see what the father did was he beat the elders to the gate. The elders who were gonna say, you're cut off from us. You can't come in here. You cannot come in here. The father beat the elders to the gate. The father was looking and waiting and watching the whole time his son was gone because he knew about this Kazeza ceremony that would have cut his son off. And the father beat the elders to the gate. Now this is pretty interesting too because in that time, if for a wealthy landowner to lift up his skirt and to run would have been a disgrace. It would have been an embarrassment. But the father said, I don't care how embarrassed I have to be. I don't care what I have to sacrifice. I want my son back. I want my boy back. I want him back in the house. I want him back in the fold. And the Bible lets us know that the father went to meet the son. So the father would have lifted up his skirt and shown his legs and suffered embarrassment for himself in order to get the son back. And it kind of reminds me of the story of Jesus. He was willing to suffer embarrassment on himself. He was willing to spare no cost. And he went to the cross for us. He came for us. And he brought his son home. And the boy had shame and guilt on him. And I want you to hear this. The boy had so much shame and guilt on him. He said, Dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm not worthy. And there are so many Christians who feel not worthy. We have no problem believing God will do it for somebody else. We rejoice when we see a sinner come to the altar that we know has been bound up in all sorts of stuff and and they get set free. We rejoice in that and we say praise the Lord and we celebrate. But when it comes to us and we look ourselves in the mirror every day and we know how filthy dirty we are and we know what we do and the thoughts that we think and the words that come out of our mouth and we know what we do, we kind of look at ourselves and think the same thing that the prodigal says. I'm not worthy to be called your son. But the very first thing that the father says to the son is this. He says, go get a ring and go get a robe and go get some sandals for on his feet because my son has come home. The son came home. The son said, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And the father said, but you are. And he didn't say, where have you been and what have you been doing? And how much have you, how much have you been tied up in? Where did all the money go? He didn't say any of that. He said, my son's home. My son's home. And he didn't tell the boy he had to clean himself up either. He said, bring him a new robe. Bring him a ring. We're getting him back into the house. We run away from God so often because of our shame and embarrassment, our guilt. We think that the littlest thing we do, we mess up. 
There's no way that God could use us. There's no way that God could possibly have a purpose for us in his kingdom. There's no way that God could possibly look at us and love us. But when we finally come to ourselves in sin, we say, how could I have gone this far And all the while, if you understood the Father and you understood the heart of the Father, the whole time you're out in your sin, the Father's going, is that my boy? Is that my daughter? Are they coming home yet? Is that them at the gate? Is that them out there? And we think that God's ready to smack us when we mess up, when all God wants is for you to come towards him and say, I want to, I want to be back in the house. I want to be back in the family. I want to be back in with the fold. And God's going to run to you just like he ran to the sun. So you can't think that God's waiting and God's cut you off somehow when God was the one who made the steps so that you wouldn't be cut off. He made the steps so you wouldn't be cut off. He sent Jesus so you wouldn't be cut off. We run from God when he's ready to run towards us. Think about that. We run from God and he's ready to run towards us. The father said, Get a ring and a robe. And the Father is the same in this story as God our Father. He already knows where you've been. He was there when you did it. He was there. Saw the whole thing. Sometimes I think if we'd think a little more like that, we wouldn't do certain things. He saw the whole thing. The parts that you hid from everybody else and the little pieces that you thought nobody else saw and you were, you were in the dark and nobody else knew and you hid in the back alley to smoke it and you, you hid in the back alley to shoot it up and you drove two hours away to, to get a drink. Hey, listen, God saw it all. He was there with you in the car. He's there with you in your room. He's there. And we run away from God thinking that he's going to cut us off. But he's saying to us, just come home. Just come home. There's a story that an old pastor told, and it was from a prison warden in 1961. He said, this prison warden said that his friend was riding on a train and this train was going down the tracks and he noticed this young man who was sitting across from him who was very fidgety, obviously depressed, obviously upset. And finally, the the warden said, the man said, what is it that you're so upset about? Why are you so sad? Why are you so depressed? And the young man said, I'm a paroled convict, and I just got out of prison. And he said, I'm on my way. I've brought shame to my family. Everybody knows about it. It was in the newspapers. It was all over what I did, and everybody knows about it. And I brought such shame to my family. And I didn't hear from them while I was in prison. No letters no visits, and I'm not sure whether it was because they were poor 
that they couldn't visit or send letters or because they were uneducated. But I didn't hear from them one time. He said, I wrote to them often. And right before I got out of prison, I wrote one last letter to them. And he said, I'm going to be coming past the house on this train at such and such a time on such and such a day. And I know that I've been a disgrace to my family. I know that I've, I've, it's been all over the news. I know everything is out there. And I know I haven't really heard from you and I know I haven't seen you. You didn't come visit, you didn't write. But I was kind of wondering if it might be okay, if you're not too ashamed of me, if you still might have some sort of love for me down in your heart, if when I come past that house and the train stops in our town, if I could stop by. And he said, if that's okay with you, would you do me a favor and tie a white ribbon around the tree that's in the backyard so that when I come past on the train, I'll know that it's okay to get off and stop by the house and see my family. And he said, so that's what I'm doing. I'm on this train. And if they tell me they don't want to see me again, if there's no white ribbon out back, I'll understand. But if there's a white ribbon, I sure would like to see my family one more time. And as they grew closer and closer to the house, he became more nervous, more depressed, more fidgety. And he said, I can't do it. Would you mind looking out the window for me when we come past our house? And would you mind telling me if there's a white ribbon around that tree out back? And so they went on a little further and the train whistle blew and the boy knew that he was getting close to home. And the man was looking out the window and he said, well, here it is. Do you see a white ribbon hanging on that tree in the backyard? And the man looked out the window and he said, son, I don't see a white ribbon. I see hundreds of them. They're all over the tree. They're all over the house. They're all over the lamppost. He said, somebody sure must love you. And that's the call that the father is sending out to you today. He's saying, I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. Just come home. Just come home. He's putting the white ribbons out for you today. He's putting all the information out for you today saying, just come home. So today, if you're trying to figure out if God loves you, he does. If you're trying to figure out if God's mad at you, he isn't. If you're trying to figure out what God wants you to do, he just wants you to come home. He just wants you to come home. Will you stand your feet with me in this place? I know I've 
gone a couple minutes over. But I want to make an appeal to you today. And for a lot of people, they might think that this message is just for the lost, just for the sinners who have been out in the world, but it's not. This message is also for the ones who just don't feel like they've been home in a while. For the ones who have been saved and who just don't feel that closeness with the Father. Maybe you got a blessing, got something good that happened in your life, but some way, somehow, fellowship's been broken. God just wants you to come home today. Today, before this week of Bible school and before this week where we do baptism and before we do communion next Sunday night, I can't think of any better time to come home. Time short, time short. We don't have much time left here. We don't have much time left here at all, I don't think. The indications that that time is so short. I could tell you things that are happening all over the world right now, but the Father wants you to come home. He wants you to come home. So if you bow your heads this morning, and close your eyes. I'm making an appeal to believers this morning because the prodigal lived in the house. He grew up in the house and then he walked away. Now's the time that we need to get close to God, closer than ever before. I'm going to ask believers first. If you've been kind of separated from God, it's time to come home. And all I'm going to do is count to three and ask you to move towards this altar. not going to make you raise your hand, nothing like that. I just want you to come toward this altar at the count of three. Say, you know what? I've been separated from God. I'm saved. I'm coming to church. I just need that closeness back. One, two, three. moving yes there's no shame in it because as soon as you take the first step the father's running towards you with a brand new robe and a ring God's not mad at you today. He's just glad you're on your way home. And now if there's anyone in this place who's not saved, who doesn't know Jesus at all, I want to ask you to come to this altar too and join these ones that are up here on the count of three.
You need Jesus. You need him. There's no question about it. You need him. So if that's you and you say, I'm not saved, I count to three, get to this altar. One, two, three. Hallelujah. 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 I'm going to pray a sinner's prayer. And everyone who's in this place, I'd love for you to pray along with me. And then I'm going to pray a prayer over all the ones who have said, you know what? I haven't been as close to God as I should be. The sinner's prayer just goes like this. Just pray it along with me. Father God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Asking for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. That he's your son. That he rose again. Cleanse me in the blood. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. and Help me to live for you. Now, Father God, I come to you on behalf of all these ones who have come forward saying, I just haven't been as close to God as I should be or as I once was. Things have happened. I've drifted. In the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you would help them to see pray that you would help them to see your heart towards them. God, you're not mad at them. Every bit of shame and guilt is from the enemy. And in the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you would break it today. Break it off of them. God, wrap your arms around them. Let them see that you have a robe for them and that you have a ring for them and that you have sandals for them. And God, they're not coming to you as a servant in your own household, but they're a son and a daughter. And in the name of Jesus, God, I pray that they would be stronger than ever. God, that the restoration that's taking place even now would be strong, God, that they would see their value. They would see their purpose in you. God, that they would know that they were fully accepted and loved when they come to you. God, that they would see that you have a place for them, that they're not some sort of second-rate child, that they're not a stepchild, God. They're not some sort of orphan. God, they are your children. I bind that enemy that would tell them otherwise. God, I thank you for rebuilding for rebuilding the connection between you and your kids. Let every child at this altar and everyone in this place understand that you've been sitting on the front porch waiting for them to get home. And let them know, God, that they're home today. No rejection. No condemnation. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Faith Talk podcast. If you would like to connect with the host, you can do so on Facebook at Caleb Schaefer Ministry 
on Instagram at Caleb underscore Schaefer or by visiting www.calebschaefer.com. Be sure to check out Caleb's worship albums on iTunes, Amazon Music and wherever digital music is sold or streamed. If you've been encouraged today, please share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. May God bless you and remember to tune in next week for another episode of the Faith Talk Podcast.